Welcome. You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Bible Church in Cambridge, Ontario. At GBC, we're all about finding rest and relationship in God through gospel-centered worship, discipleship, and community. To learn more about GBC, check us out online at gbccambridge.com. Now here's Pastor David Robinson with a message from God's Word. We're glad that you could join us once again for our service. There may be some who are new and uh, are listening for the first time. We want to welcome you as well. Just to set a bit of the context, we've been traveling through the book of Mark, and as we've been traveling through the book of Mark, uh, we've been reading about the kingship of Jesus, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, or whenever you listen to this. Uh, And then uh, the plan was that uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, uh, we would um, go through the, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, and then following that, uh, we would uh, celebrate the resurrection on Easter from Mark chapter 16. Uh, the Good Friday was planned to be with Knox's Presbyterian Church. Uh, we do hope that you can join us, continue to join us in that journey of the crucifixion of Christ leading to the uh, resurrection story where we celebrate his goodness. I think if we were together, uh, we would be asking, how are you doing? And so we want to ask that question. We want to ask, how are you doing? And we have been trying to reach out in various ways. We've heard a lot of people reaching out to one another, uh, phone calls, Zoom, uh, whatever it is, uh, just connecting. And we are really thankful to the Lord for that. Uh, If you would like to reach out to us because you have a certain need or you want to talk or you just need some encouragement or maybe there's a way that we can serve you, please do reach out to us. Uh, The email that um, is sent, including this video, uh, will give you emails or phone numbers that you you can contact us. Some people have been asking how we're doing, and we're we're thankful for that. We are thankful that the Lord's uh, continued to give us good health and strength and the ability to be able to work and to serve, and not only our family, but also uh, Tyler's family and Byron's family um, and, and the other leadership in the church. So thank you for asking, and we continue to pray for one another. And as we, uh, and before we start, we just want to start with a word of prayer. So let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks that you have uh, given us these moments so that we can join together and in, in worship, celebrating uh, the, the, the death of Christ. And it's in his weakness that we see his power, and it's in his suffering that we see deliverance. And so we pray that as we focus on the death of Christ, that tragic, horrible death, um, that offensive death, that you would give us a sense of uh, the love that was on the cross, the love of a father who would send his willing son to die for sinners in order that we might have life now, life everlasting. <laughs> we pray for some who may be watching, and, and this might be the first time that they hear this story or are challenged with their relationship with God, and we just pray that you would work in their hearts and lives as well. Father, we continue to remember our circumstances that we're living through. We pray for our frontline workers. We ask that you would uh, protect them and guard them. We pray that they would continue to serve in whatever capacity uh, that you have given them. We pray that you would be with families and, and individuals. Lord, sometimes these might be moments of tension, and we would ask that you would Uh, draw your people together, and there would be opportunities to serve one another and to love one another, and you would uh, give a calmness and a peace where there is tension. We pray for those who are filled with anxious thoughts and worries. We pray for those who are struggling spiritually. We pray for those who may be just filled with thoughts of darkness. We pray today that as we study the Word together, Um, your spirit may minister to them and that others would reach out to them and they would reach out to others and the community would continue to talk and share and ask the question, how are you doing? We do want to thank you that you are our great God, the one who does great things in difficult times. 
We thank you that we can remember that you are the one who protects your flock like a shepherd. You gather the lambs in your arms and you carry them in the fold of your garment. You gently lead those who are nursing, we read in Isaiah 40. And so we thank you for your gentle leadership. And we pray that you would honor our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin, we're going to begin reading uh, from Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, and we're going to read the first 32 verses and travel as Jesus suffers at the hands of sinners. As soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders, scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests tied Jesus up, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You say so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. Pilate questioned him again, Aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer, and so Pilate was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas, who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, Then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Again they shouted, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led him away into the palace, that is the governor's residence, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. They were hitting him on the head with a stick, and spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his clothes on him. They led him out to, be, to, to crucify him. They forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene the father of Alexander and Rufus. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Then they crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was the king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha, the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with scribes were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. We can ask ourselves the question as we read through the crucifixion of Jesus, how does the Bible deal with with sufferings. This is obviously a very difficult time that uh, we're going through. There are different times, and during these times, there can uh, be the potential of suffering. There can be the worry and the anxieties, 
And so should we have a message about anxiety or worry or, or suffering? Or is our, are our suffering somehow related to the cross? I think if we want to, in, 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 in the big picture, understand how the Bible deals with sufferings uh, and with our anxieties and worries, we can summarize it in four small statements. First of all, God never minimizes our sufferings. God never minimizes our sufferings. They're not easy to go through. God never minimizes our worries. God never minimizes our anxieties. Second, God never minimizes our sufferings, but he does maximize his glory. He reveals his greatness. He reveals his power. He reveals how personal he is. And that is done, third, by connecting us with the gospel. The gospel takes our suffering seriously while maximizing the glory of God. So, God never minimizes our sufferings while at the same time maximizing his glory through the gospel or through the cross and then finally calling us to faith. He calls us to moments of trust, to times when life doesn't make sense, but because he never minimizes our suffering, maximizes his glory, leads us to the cross, he calls us to trust. And that is why we, I'm, I'm thankful to be in Mark 15, because in Mark 15, we see such a clear picture of uh, the cross and what was taking place and who we are before God and who Christ is before us. I just want to give you a quick example of how this takes place. Uh, if you might have your Bibles with you, but uh, if you don't, I'm just going to refer to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, you might uh, be familiar with these words. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, uh, I'll begin reading in verse 2. Verse 1 grounds uh, everything, our, 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 our gospel story in Jesus Christ. Verse 1 is that we've been saved uh, by faith through Christ. Verse 2, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And you might recognize these verses. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Now, that might seem very difficult because how do we rejoice in our afflictions? Well, he gives us a reason. He gives us reasons because our afflictions lead to endurance, which leads to character, which leads to hope. So there's a pathway through that. But we rejoice primarily not because of the work that's done in us, but because the work that was done in Jesus. Our suffering is grounded in the gospel. In fact, uh, when we go to verse 6, uh, he goes back to the gospel, and it's almost like Paul is saying, um, I, just, I want you to clearly understand the gospel, because the more clear we understand the gospel, the more the gospel takes deep roots in our heart, the more that we will be using words like rejoicing in affliction, or hope in affliction, or, or uh, peace in affliction. All of that takes place. God never minimizes suffering. God maximizes his glory through the cross. So what does he say about the cross? Well, he says in verse 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, But God proves his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? We're saying, or Paul is saying, that while we were helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were sinners, Christ died for, for us. How much more will he save us from our wrath? While we were enemies, we were reconciled. So we are helpless, we're sinners, we're enemies, but Christ died for us and reconciled us to God. It is in that moment when we begin to see the gospel that the gospel grounds us to exalt so we can exalt God in our afflictions. The gospel grounds us 
So we begin to exalt God in our afflictions because we are deeply loved. So we study the gospel deeply. So we find words like grace and peace and hope and joy in Christ's afflictions and also in our afflictions, and that becomes a testimony to others. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at Mark chapter 15, and we're going to ask the question, uh, how does the gospel ground us so that we exalt God in our afflictions? And at the same time, we're going to study hard uh, what the gospel looks like as it's revealed in Mark chapter 15. The first thing that we're going to notice is the great gospel decision. The great gospel decision. This is going to be found in verses 1 through 5. Jesus is handed over to Pilate by uh, the religious leaders. And then there's this important question that's asked. The very first que- the, the, the question that's asked by Pilate is, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Now, you know those times when you might drop a, a bottle of uh, pop, a can of pop, or you might shake it, and, uh, and then you open it up, and it sprays all over the place? That's what's happening with, uh, with Pilate's question. In other words, this is not just a random question that Mark puts in here. This is the question that if we were to shake the book of Mark, this is, you're begging for this question. You're, you're just wondering, Jesus has revealed his kingship throughout the entire book of Mark. In fact, we'll, we'll just do this very quickly, but if you were to go back to Mark chapter 1, you would read in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 about uh, Jesus coming to bring a kingdom. We often describe Jesus as coming to forgive our sins, and that's true. But this is how Jesus described his mission in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, we ask ourselves the question, well, what does the kingdom of God look like? And that's, if all you had was the first 15 verses of Mark chapter 1, you would learn so much about this coming king who is going to bring his kingdom. You would read the very first uh, few verses in Mark chapter 1. is all about John the Baptist. And Mark quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 is a time when, when Israel is, has just heard about their sin and the coming judgment of God. And then Isaiah 40 says, comfort, comfort my people. And then he goes on to talk about how the one who is to bring comfort is going to be a king. And he is going to be a shepherd. And then you might remember in Isaiah 40, who has understood the ways of God? He holds the waters in the palm of his hand. So you have, this, uh, you have this king who is coming, this creator, shepherd, king, who is coming to comfort his people and deliver them from their sins. And then the very next story after John the Baptist is the baptism of Jesus. And in the baptism of Jesus, uh, Mark quotes from Isaiah 42. And if you have time, I'd encourage you to read Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 8. And there you would read of the suffering servant. There, there, there are servant references in the book of Isaiah. And the, the, the coming servant is Jesus. And Jesus has now come, but he's come to minister. He's not going to uh, a broken reed. He will not break. And he has come to, to shepherd and to care for his people. He is the suffering uh, servant. And then after that, you have Jesus going into the desert, and he's facing off with Satan. And so you have this story of cosmic deliverance. It's not just the forgiveness of sins, but Jesus has come to destroy the power and the presence of Satan. And then you have Mark chapter 1, verse 15, that talks of Jesus saying that he has come to bring a kingdom. What is his kingdom all about? His kingdom is the shepherd king, the servant king, the one that would bring comfort and forgiveness, the one who would bring uh, destruction to the power and ways of Satan. That's the kingdom. And that's the kingdom that Jesus would show throughout the, entire, the entirety of his life in, in his ministry for those three years. In fact, if you were to go back to Mark chapter 1, and the very first words after, after uh, the kingdom is, follow me. That's what you do to a king. You follow a king. 
And now his life and his ministry have been exposed, and it's by no mistake that Pilate asked the question, are you the king of the Jews? Everything that has taken place, are you the king of the Jews? Are we to worship you? Are we to follow you? Are you to be our master? Will you deliver us? Will you save us? Will you give hope? All of that is wrapped up in the question. With his ministry clearly defined, Jesus now stands before Pilate, and the question is, will Pilate repent and believe? And that's why Mark is such a personal book for all of us. It's the question of our life. Who will we serve? Who will be our king? Who will we obey? Who will you put your faith in to trust so that this will deliver you and give you life? Is Jesus who he says he is? Will they bow to him and be Jesus' followers or will they reject him? Will they confess and repent or will they um, reject Jesus? So that is the great gospel decision. Who will be king of our life? Who will be our savior? And will we repent and believe in Jesus? That's the question that's being dealt with as Jesus goes to the cross. So if that is the great gospel decision, then in verses 6 through 20, we have the great gospel denial. The great gospel decision, and then the great gospel denial. Remember we began with Romans chapter 5, and this is how Paul described us. He described us as helpless. The word there is weak, a total incapacity for good before God. We're not only helpless, but we're sinners. We're lost. We're condemned. Not only are we helpless sinners, but we're also enemies. It's courtroom language that Paul uses in Romans 5. We're rebellious sinners. We're hostile to God. Uh, we, we have a hatred towards God. We are in open rebellion to God. And so at this trial of Pilate and ultimately the trial before the crowd, now the crowd has a voice, what, what do you want me to do with the one who you call the king of the Jews? Uh, now we have uh, our hearts opened up. Is it true that we are helpless sinners and enemies of God? What's interesting is Jesus is on trial, but because he is the king, our hearts are actually on trial. It's the great reversal in many ways. We stand to judge God, and God reveals our hearts. Who are we as we stand before Jesus? Who are we as we stand before this king? The question is, are you the king of the Jews? And then you will read about three or four times uh, that, um, that the reference of the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews, it keeps on coming back. This is the question, is, who is this king of the Jews? So there is a trial that is taking place, not only with Jesus, but also a trial of our hearts. And when we go through this trial, whether it's the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Sanhedrin, whether it's Pilate, the, the ruling government at that time, or whether it's the crowds, our hearts have spoken. We will judge the one who claims to be king and condemn him not just to death, but as one who is to be cursed. For, so, how did they deny the king? They denied the king in four ways. We'll just go through these quickly because I want to bring us to how the gospel is declared, how the kingship of Jesus is not just denied, but how Jesus declares his kingship. Four ways the crowd and Pilate and the religious leaders deny that Jesus is king. First, they chose Barabbas. They chose Barabbas over Jesus. There is this sad irony that Barabbas is actually guilty of what they're accusing Jesus of, leading a rebellion. They, 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 they say, Jesus or Barabbas? Well, Jesus is, is leading a rebellion. So who will you choose? Barabbas. 
Jesus came to bring life. Jesus came to heal. Jesus came to save. Barabbas came to kill. Barabbas came leading a rebellion. And when the question is asked, Barabbas or Jesus, they say, we want Barabbas. They would deny the king by rejecting the king and choosing one like them. One that they wanted, whom they wanted to be their king, who would lead a rebellion and deliver them out of uh, the Romans' hands. They wanted a king of their own choosing. They denied the king, secondly, because they condemned an innocent man. Pilate's rather pathetic in all of this. But we learn from Pilate, probably more clearly from, than anybody else at this point, about the innocence of Jesus. Pilate knew, we read, Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they, that they wanted to kill Jesus. We read in verse 10, for he knew it was because of envy that the chief priest handed him over. And then he offers them Barabbas and he says, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? Because he knew it was out of envy. And then uh, a, little, a little while later, he asked the question, then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? And they say, crucify him. And Pilate says, why? What has he done? Jesus is declared innocent, really, by Pilate. He's done nothing wrong. Why would we crucify him? And yet they would deny an innocent man of justice. They would deny Jesus, even though he was perfectly righteous. All sorts of ironies in this story. One of the great ironies is Jesus is declaring to the religious leaders that Jesus is innocent. Not only would they choose Barabbas, not only would they condemn an innocent man, but they called for a crucifixion. They denied the king, and they not only wanted him dead, but they wanted him crucified. Here is what enemies do to the ones that they hate. They not only want them dead, but they want them to suffer. So in a while we will read, or in the next point we will read, that they caused Jesus to suffer. That is what you do with enemies. Not only would they uh, cause Jesus to suffer, but they wouldn't say, just put him to death, or just flog him. They would say, we want him crucified. We want him humiliated. We want to shame him. We want it to be painful. It was an excruciating way to die. But above all, they understood and they knew that for him to hang on the cross, for, them to, for Jesus to hang on a tree, he would be cursed by God. They say not only that he needs to be put to death, but that he is cursed by God. That is enemy language. We are enemies of the cross. We believe in our righteousness and, and, and discredit the innocence and the righteousness of Jesus. We are those who have a choice between Jesus and Barabbas, and we will choose Barabbas. And then finally, we see how the, uh, how the soldiers treat Pilate, or treat Jesus on behalf of Pilate, the Jews, and the crowd. We read in verse 16, the soldiers led him away into the palace. And then notice there's this rapid fire. In fact, it will happen all the way to verse 27. They did this. They, they did this. They did this. Verse 17. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on him. That is enemy behavior. They began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. Notice are you the king of the Jews? What do you want me to do with the king of the Jews? But um, what, what do you want me to do with the one that they call king of the Jews? And now they hail him as king of the Jews. This is to deny the king. They would choose Barabbas. They would condemn an innocent man. They called for crucifixion. And then the soldiers on behalf of Pilate, Jews, and the crowd would beat him, would mock him. They would hit him on the head with sticks, spitting on him, getting down on their knees. They would pay homage. They mocked him. They stripped him of a purple robe, and then they put his clothes back on. This is the heart of humanity. This is why the cross is so offensive. This is why people want nothing to do with the cross. 
because we are alienated from God and we would speak of our own righteousness, we would speak of our own goodness, we would speak of our good works rather than the good works of Jesus. We are in such a helpless state that we do not recognize often our sinfulness before God, that we are filled with sin. And because we are filled with sin, God's wrath is upon us. And not only are we filled with sin, but we are in open rebellion against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are enemies, and therefore we are distant. We need, a, we need one who will deliver us from our sins. We need one who will help us. We need one who will reconcile us between our, our sinfulness, humanity, and God. One who would draw us near and bring us into a right relationship with God so we are not judged for our sins and we, are, we do not fall under the wrath of God. We are enslaved to sin. We are alienated by God. And often we are alienated from one another in our broken relationships and in our petty fights. The silence of Jesus allows the sinful voices to rise up and humanity sees itself for what it is. I see myself for who I am apart from Jesus Christ. I see my heart. I see my helplessness. I cannot but help to sin. I see my sinfulness. I, I see that I, I am one who transgresses the laws of God. I disobey who God is and what God desires. I will not naturally be a Christ follower because I am an enemy of God. I am distant from God and I, have, um, I am not reconciled to God. Things are not okay. As humanity is put on the judge or put in the courtroom, Jesus in his silence and is going to the cross and in his actions says, it's not okay with you. It's not okay with me. People will ask, well, why, why do we need Jesus? Why did Jesus go to the cross? It's so offensive, isn't it? It's not just Jesus goes to the cross, but when Jesus goes to the cross, he's declaring our helplessness, our sinfulness, and that we are enemies of the kingdom. We ask ourselves, is it that serious? Is it that serious that Jesus had to go to the cross? But what was on display in Mark 15? The question, are you the king of the Jews? And the answer was, he's not the king of the Jews. He's not worthy of my life. He's not worthy of my mind. He's not worthy of my purpose. He's not worthy of my existence. Crucify him. Be done with him. And while we may not say those words because we might think they're rather harsh, that's how we often live our life. That's how we live our life. Romans 1 tells us that we neither worship God nor give him thanks. We will worship self and we will give ourselves thanks. But God is often a distant memory. Or God is, you know, someone to, to be ignored. But God cannot be ignored. Jesus came so God cannot be ignored. Jesus came to say this is serious and we need to be made right. And how is this all going to be done? It is the great gospel denial that people would yell, crucify him, crucify him. So if the great gospel discussion is, are you the king of the Jews? If the great gospel, or the great gospel decision is, are you the king of the Jews? The first answer was by the crowd, by Pilate, by the Jewish leaders. The great gospel is denied. He is not the king of the Jews. Rather, crucify him. Which leads us finally to verses 20 through 32. The great gospel declared... The great gospel declared. If there is a decision to be made and there is the denial in our hearts, then does Jesus declare his kingship? How does Jesus declare his kingship? Now, we're going we're gonna to take a look at verses 20 through uh, 32, but we read uh, in these verses, it's almost like, well, he's so weak, he's so powerless. Uh, there, there's no glory here. 
There's only weakness. Jesus is so powerless. Where is the glory of Jesus that we talk about? Where is, the, where is his kingship? Who would follow a king like this? Who would follow a king that goes to a cross? Kings are supposed to ride in and, and conquer nations and gather a great following. And here Jesus is at the end of his three-year ministry, all his boasting, all his claims, all his healing, everything that he's done, his authoritative teaching, and he hangs alone naked on a cross, mocked by others, passing by, hanging between some thieves. What kind of king is this? Well, if you remember Mark chapter 1, the first few stories, John the Baptist, the baptism of Jesus, Jesus going into the desert and declaring cosmic battle against Satan as Satan tempts him and, and he, 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 he retains his righteousness. And then he says, this is the kingdom that I bring. It's this kingdom that's declared in his weakness, in his greatest weakness, in what looked like the greatest victory of Satan becomes the greatest victory of Jesus. It's an amazing story. What are five gospel declarations of the kingship of Jesus? We're going to take a look at five gospel declarations of the kingship of Jesus in this story. If you have missed or you don't understand right now how you can recognize the kingship of Jesus in a story like this, there are five gospel declarations of the kingship of Jesus. First of all, this was back in verses 1 through 5, but Jesus was silent. Jesus was silent. I, I love that Jesus was silent. Silence not only allowed the crowd to yell, crucify him, not only allowed Pilate to give into the demands in his careless justice, form of justice, but silence is the place of a king. We've talked about this a bit. Why was Jesus silent? Because a king does not answer his subjects in the courtroom. The subjects answer the king in the courtroom. And in this courtroom, even though he is in the Roman courtroom, we have seen that we have been put on trial. And our heart has been revealed we are helpless, sinners, enemies of Christ. It could not be more clear, the expression of your heart. And so for Jesus to remain silent, it is like Jesus saying, I will go to the cross, but I will not answer because I am king. That is a gospel declaration. Another gospel declaration is this kind of odd story that we find in verses 20 and 21, this Simon of Cyrene. Imagine just a moment, uh, you're, he's just walking by and then, or maybe he's gathering and, and Jesus is, is uh, walking by and somebody says, you, take up the cross. Now, part of it is that Jesus had just been brutally beaten. Very little strength. But it seems like an odd story of this man who comes and is asked to pick up the cross. But that's a, that's a, that's a gospel declaration. That's a, that's a moment where we see the gospel clearly because Simon carries the cross, but it is Jesus who would die. In other words, in the moment that Simon carries the cross, we're told that's our cross. That's not the cross of Jesus. He was declared innocent. He was righteous. But the cross that was ours Simon would carry, but Jesus would be crucified. Here is the great gospel declaration. The king would take your cross and he would die for your sins in order that you might be reconciled to God. The gospel declaration is Jesus remained silent. Simon of Cyrene picked up the cross, but Jesus would die. And then the third gospel declaration is just simply the description of his crucifixion. He would be crucified. 
Listen to how many times we read, they crucified him, they crucified him, they crucified him. Verse 20, they led him out to crucify him. And then the story of the Simon of Cyrene, they brought Jesus in verse 22 to the place of the, of, uh, of the, called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. He would go, with, he would go taking no medicinal help. Verse 24, then they crucified him, divided up his clothes. Verse 25, now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was the king of the Jews. They crucified him, or they crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. The gospel declaration is it cannot go unnoticed. They crucified him. They crucified him. Our sin, our words, our rebellion, this is what we do. We would crucify him to put him to death. And Jesus would go. That's Romans 5. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That is the love of Christ that he would love us, he would rescue us, he would reconcile us, and we would, the words reverberate in our heads, they crucified him, they crucified him, they crucified him. Jesus remained silent. Simon of Cyrene carried the cross. He was crucified, repeated in our ears again and again, sinking deep into our hearts. That is the work of Jesus on our behalf. And then the fourth gospel declaration is the taunting of Pilate, the taunting of or the taunting of uh, the taunting of uh, the crowd and the taunting of the chief priests and scribes. We don't have a lot of time to look into this, uh, but it is both groups say, "Get down from the cross." That we don't understand why Jesus should be on the cross. That's what people say today. I don't want a Jesus who hangs on the cross. Get down from the cross. They were mocking Jesus, obviously. But what's astounding in their mockery is they were speaking truth in an ironic sort of way. Listen to what those who passed by, the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. If he would save himself from coming down from the cross, he would not rebuild the temple. The temple was the meeting place of God. Jesus would rebuild the temple when he was resurrected on the third day. The sacrifice of Jesus to remain on the cross, he was crucified, would take that temple, and he would be the new temple. And that is the place where we would be reconciled, enemies, brought into the very presence of God through Jesus Christ. The religious leaders uh, walk by and they say, he saved himself or he saved others. Remember all his great works? Remember him talking about forgiving sins? He saved others apparently, but he cannot save himself. So let the Messiah, the King of Israel, you know this great King that you talk about, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. What if Jesus came down from the cross? Well, they wouldn't see and they wouldn't believe. To stay on the cross for sinners is how Jesus would save us. Jesus would take our wrath because he would not come down. So they mock Jesus and say, you build the temple. But meanwhile, we're enemies and Jesus stays on the cross so that Jesus becomes the reconciler between humanity, sinful humanity and God. And then the chief priests come and say, you save others, why don't you save yourself? Come down from the cross. That's not how a king acts. But in staying on the cross, he forgives us our sins. The mockers actually end up speaking truth. It's how badly we don't understand the gospel. We needed Jesus on the cross. 
to rebuild the temple, to reconcile us. We needed Jesus on the cross. He was king on the cross to forgive us our sins so that we would not have to die and we would not have to suffer the punishment that he would suffer. And then I think the final gospel declaration is just the last verse, the last part of uh, verse 32. Listen, this, this is so sad. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. It's an incredibly sad scene. The sentence of death is on these men. And while they were hanging on the cross, they spent their final breaths taunting, mocking Jesus. It's such a clear picture of who we are. In our sinfulness, we will taunt, we will mock. And Jesus, it's like he's saying, you, you don't understand if I come down from the cross, there is no salvation. And yet that's how we spend our days. Taunting, dying sinners, dying enemies of God, taunting the king because we refuse to bow before him. So how do we wrap all of this up? Two final thoughts. First, do you still ask Jesus to come down from the cross? How do you answer? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus, everything that was written about you in the book of Mark, Fulfilled in the Old, or the Old Testament. Everything that was spoken about you in the Old Testament, in the book of Mark. Are you, say, are you who you say you are, Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's not just one who came to forgive us our sins. He is one who came to conquer the devil. He came to conquer the power of Satan. He came to give hope and joy and peace in the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation of sinners to God. And now he helps us to live a life that we could not live. And the hope is that one day what we experience in part, we will experience in fullness when he returns. And we will see the, the, the full beauty and the full wonder and we will praise him that he did not come down from the cross. If your Savior, the one that you claim to be a Savior, is not the one who hung on the cross, then there is no salvation apart from him. We cannot save ourselves. We are helpless, we are sinners, and we are enemies. But Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to offer his life for you. And so, as in Mark 1.15, we repent of our sins. And we believe. We believe that Jesus is king. And we become king followers. And then finally, we began by saying that we are living in difficult times. We are living in times where uh, we are having to change a lot of things. And we ask ourselves the question, can the cross help us through times of affliction? The gospel grounds us to exalt God in our afflictions. In moments like this, when we are grounded in grace, God never minimizes your worries. God never minimizes your sufferings. But he maximizes his glory as he grounds us in the gospel. Jesus took care of you on the cross. He will take care of you through this. And so when we go through these afflictions, we begin to say, he's my king. 
He's my king. And I will bow before him. And I will magnify his name. And I will bow before him. And I will follow him. And if that means I will suffer, then I will suffer. And if that means I go through moments of affliction, I go through moments of affliction. Because he is present. Because he is leading. Because he is my king. And so while it may look like our king is weak in this world and during this time of affliction, as we saw on the cross in the greatest moments of weakness, we begin to experience greater power and greater glory and a greater sense of the gospel. Allow these afflictions and these times that you're going through to ground you deep in the cross. Jesus, Jesus, while you were helpless sinners and enemies, Jesus did not come down from the cross. He's your king. He brought you in reconciliation, the new temple. He's your king. He saved you from your sin so that you no longer will come under the wrath of God. He's your king. And if God calls me to go through light and momentary afflictions, we begin to say, he's my king. He's my king. And you begin to use words like, there's peace. There's joy. There's hope. There's a gospel story to share. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, If there are those listening who want Jesus down from the cross, may they see the only way to reconcile the enemies of God with God is that Jesus would be on the cross and stay on the cross and that they would repent and that they would believe. May your spirit work. And Father, for those who are troubled in their heart and their mind, may they be so deeply grounded in the gospel that they might know that their king is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he went to the cross and our king suffered and he died and he paid the penalty and he rose again. So our king lives. May we be able to say, he's my king. He's my king. Amen. We trust that God will continue to bless and keep you, that God's favor would rest upon you. And please know in these moments of isolation that you are loved by your church family. And we continue to pray for you. May God bless.